Well, the Gonzaga Bulldogs haven't quite put together the perfect recipe to win a national championship, which got us thinking, is there a perfect recipe for winning at all? Let's discuss right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. All right, today is Monday morning. It is a sort of return for Mailbag Monday. Many of you have been very used to every Monday episode being a mailbag episode. That's been the routine for years and years, dating back to when this podcast was called Score Zag Score and hosted by yours truly before I started at Locked On about a year ago. Exactly excited to celebrate that year milestone. It's coming up. But what I wanted to do today is a handful of people have reached out with kind of longer form questions, questions that would generally be an entire segment, uh, things that I wouldn't have wanted to kind of try to pigeonhole into a mailbag segment regardless. So what I did is once I got three of them, I decided boom, 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 segment one, segment two, segment three, all of them are going to be listener submitted questions for Mailbag Monday that we're going to take one by one here today. We are going to bring Mailbag back. I haven't decided exactly when yet. Probably early October might do one at the end of this month as well. So if you have burning questions you've been wanting to ask, feel free to reach out now or hold on to them until you hear an announcement about Mailbag Monday coming back. It should be soon. All right, this first question comes from Pete via Gmail. Pete is a listener to the Locked on Duke podcast with my friend J.J. Jackson. He was listening to an episode a few weeks ago where J.J. had Jason Jordan, who is, of course, a weekly guest for the Locked on Zags podcast as well. The two of them were chatting. Pete had a question out of it. I'm just going to read his question here. He says, It struck me while listening that Duke hasn't won the championship since 2015, despite having the best recruiting classes year in and year out. Clearly, it takes more to win it all than just having the best players on paper and arguably the best coach and strongest recent basketball tradition. Zion's team couldn't do it, and neither could Palo's team. I'd love to hear your thoughts on a podcast, why this has been the case, Kentucky's two for that matter, and what you think the most important ingredients are for winning a championship. Well, Pete, this is an excellent question and one that, if I had the answer... I got to be honest, I think I'd be getting paid a lot more money in the college basketball world in some capacity because nobody fully has the answer to this question. And I think the simplest explanation is that winning a championship takes luck. It takes random variants. It takes things that are not quantifiable. Because if they were, people would collect whatever it is that we can quantify that proves that you are going to win a championship if you have this. But we don't have anything like that. Having the best recruits does not necessarily equal guaranteed national championships. Playing the toughest schedule, a common, common criticism levied against the Zags, does not mean that you're going to win a national championship. Ask the Big Ten. It doesn't mean that you're going to win a championship just because you play the toughest teams during January and February in the conference season. Having the toughest non-conference schedule, that doesn't mean anything either. There's so many other things. Peaking at the right time, that's something that gets talked about a lot. It's something that sports bettors really like to utilize, and I understand it. And certainly when you see teams get really hot during their conference tournament, 
it's often a tendency to give them maybe an extra game, an extra victory in March Madness. And to some degree, I think there's probably some legitimacy there. But there have been teams that have won the national championship that were ice cold heading into the NCAA tournament. It is not a hard and fast rule. There are not any hard and fast rules. Having a seven-man rotation, an eight-man rotation, a nine-man rotation, a 10-man rotation, whatever it may be, people like to use those criticisms. Well, the teams that win it all always have this. If they say always or never, it's probably not true. It's probably not true. Having a player of the year candidate, having an experienced team, having an experienced backcourt, having an experienced frontcourt, having a bunch of freshmen, having no freshmen, having all transfers, having no transfers, all of these things have been studied, have been discussed, have been analyzed, and none of them have proven definitively. Teams have won championships with all freshmen. Teams have won championships with no freshmen. It has ha- Both of those things have happened. Last year, a huge talking point that I think that was... Misleading to say the least, a huge talking point about the two teams in the national championship game, North Carolina and Kansas, was their lack of transfers. Now, part of that is just straight up false because North Carolina had Brady Manek. He was their second or third, probably second best player on that roster, and he was a transfer. But yeah, Kansas didn't have a ton. North Carolina didn't really have any outside of that. I think Kansas had Remy Martin was their backup point guard. He'd been a whole all around the block in his college career. But I think, yeah, we're in the transfer era and it's a bit unique to see two programs of that caliber with very little transfers on their roster. But I'll tell you what, if Hubert Davis believed that transfers were not the key to success, they probably don't go out and get Pete Nance during the offseason. That's not a, a, a direction that they're going to go. So there's always going to be these conversations. There's always going to be speculation of what matters, what doesn't matter, and ultimately, Everything matters. Like It doesn't not matter at all. Everything matters a little bit. And there is some degree of truth about all of this stuff. Does having a returning player of the year make your odds of going farther in March higher? Probably. It would be hard for me to imagine that that doesn't have some level of an impact. Is there some argument that the, the size of the rotation a team plays plays an impact in March? I suspect so. But I don't think that it is a hard and fast rule. And then the recruiting one... The recruiting one's an interesting one because Duke and Kentucky have very clearly been very, very good over the last 10 years. Kentucky has had a lot of early exits. Frankly, so has Duke. They have both done that. Uh, Two seeds losing to 15 seeds. It's happened to both of them. We've seen them lose earlier in March pretty regularly. Calipari has come under some fire for not being able to take this team as far as the expectations should be around this team. But, But both these teams have been good. It's not like recruiting and getting the the number one or number two recruiting class every single year is actually damaging Duke or Kentucky. It is clearly not doing that, but it is not the only thing that they need to do in order to win a championship. And even though both those teams are doing other things well, Duke is a good, well-coached team. Krzyzewski is not just a recruiter. He's a good coach. John Shire, we'll see. I suspect he's probably a pretty good coach too. John Calipari, there are legitimate criticisms of the way he coaches his team, but he's pretty good at it. I don't think he's a bad head coach. Maybe there are things he could improve on and maybe that would help this team get a little bit better. Sure. I don't think there's any debate about that. But ultimately, there's not any hard and fast rule. There's not any specific recipe. It's not you should have this number of transfers and this number of young players and this number of peaking players and you should try to have your best games here and play your best. Like there, There's just not a recipe for that. There's not. And, and I don't think that there's really an expectation that there would be. 
I hope that nobody came into the, listening to the start of this conversation thinking, well, Andy's going to lay out exactly what we need to do. That's just not how it works. Gonzaga has put together some teams that that on paper are just fantastic. They have a perfect blend of veteran experience. They have the two-point guard lineups that Mark Few loves. They have some youth. They have some experience. They have some transfers. And they've done really well. Gonzaga went into a national championship game undefeated. You could look at that 2020-2021 team and be like, what else, what more could they have done? Certainly you can look at that roster now and think, well, they really lacked rim protection. That was an obvious issue. Baylor exploited that, et cetera, et cetera. But there's just not a hard and fast rule. There's there's luck, there's guesswork, there's timing, there's things completely outside of even the team that's playing basketball's control that factor into winning a national championship. You don't need to have lost to a 16 seed the year before as much as Virginia fans might like to tell you that that's what they think the recipe is. Uh, you just you need to time it all right. You need to have a good team, and having a good team comes with having good players, which is why Duke and Kentucky are always in the conversation. It's why Gonzaga has been in the conversation more so lately because the recruiting has ticked up. But you need more than that. You need more than that. If I knew exactly what it was, I promise you, I promise you all that I would tell you, but I don't. I don't know what it is. Nobody out there knows exactly what it is. They're all guessing. They're all trying to find the right pieces, trying to put the puzzle together as best as possible, the perfect combination of returning players, new players, tough schedule, correct size of the lineup, all of that stuff is is what is being put together by every one of these coaches thinking this is the recipe. This is the best we can do with what we have to win a national championship. Ultimately, 350 teams are going to think that one team is going to be correct. And the way that they get there, whatever team wins it this year and every team that's won it previously, they had some luck involved. There was something outside of their control that caused them to win that championship. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's not an excuse. It's not an excuse for why Coach K hasn't won as many as he could, why Mark Few hasn't won one yet, etc., etc., why it took Jay Wright so long, why it took, whatever it may be. It's just, it's just the way that it goes. Gonzaga will get there. I really believe that they will. And whatever team gets there isn't necessarily better than the 21 team or better than the 17 team. Maybe they will be. That's great. Nothing wrong with that. You want your program to be continuing to get better and better. But it, it could also just be that this team timed it right. Things went their direction. The coin flip flipped their way. The ball bounced their way. Whatever analogy you want to use, that's what ended up happening the next time that Gonzaga does win a championship. All right, second segment, we're going to come back and we're going to answer another listener submitted question. This one about high level recruits in the state of Washington. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. College basketball may be deep into the offseason, but college football and the NFL are just getting started and the MLB season is still chugging along. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all the latest sports action, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, segment two, still any patents, still locked on Zag, still doing a pseudo mailbag Monday return episode with three questions each. One segment long discussing a variety of different college basketball topics. This next question 
comes from Brian G- via Gmail. Brian says, a random thought popped into my head about a potential episode idea. A month or two ago, you had an episode where you talked about high school talent that came out of Seattle. In that conversation, you briefly mentioned Martel Webster. I was pumped because I was in his class at Seattle Prep. It got me thinking, what are your thoughts on putting out an episode on the 10 greatest recruits to ever come out of Washington or something along those lines? It would be cool to hear about guys who were star-studded and highly ranked, but maybe never made that big of a splash in the college or the pros. Totally get if that's too broad of a subject or you have content filled through the year, but just thought I'd share the idea. Brian, my friend, I do not have content filled out. Throughout the year, I definitely have a running calendar of ideas, but this was perfect. I'm very glad that an off-the-cuff Martel Webster comment. As a Blazers fan, of course, Martel Webster is always popping in my head, but I'm very glad that that comment led to this question. This is a fun question. It was also a much more difficult question to research than I thought that it would be. I expected that 24-7 sports or rivals or somebody like that would have organized lists from the last 20 years state-by-state recruiting-wise, and I could not find it. I could not find it. If any of you know how to access that information, please let me know. I can redo this if it's incorrect. But what I did is I clicked through all of the high-level programs in the NCAA. I clicked through all of the local programs in the NCAA, and I found the highest-ranked prospects from Washington that I could. I put together a list, top 10. All of these guys were five-star recruits. I found a handful of other five-star recruits who were not quite as highly rated as this guy, this is using 24-7 Sports' composite rankings. So I'm hoping that this is an accurate top 10 list. It is very close if it is not entirely accurate. If anybody thinks that I am missing somebody, please let me know. I will go through the list here one by one very quickly on each of them. Uh, the fun fact for this group probably won't surprise anybody who's listening to this. There are 10 names on this list, highest rated recruits out of Washington since the year 2000. One of them went to Duke. We all know who that is. One of them went to North Carolina. One of them went to UCLA. The other seven all went to the University of Washington. That's right. Zero went to Gonzaga. Zero went to Washington State. Zero went to USC or Oregon or Kentucky or any other high-level program. They all went to UW. The fact that UW did not have a lot of success over the last couple of decades in basketball kind of tells you all you need to know about what their program is. They they have a high-level recruiting. Lorenzo Romar, extraordinary at recruiting, but didn't develop that talent exceptionally well. Had a lot of guys who were one and done, which obviously did not help either. Again, we'll go through the list one by one here. Number one, highest rated recruit in the state of Washington in the last 22 years, Palo Bancaro, of course. 0.9994 is the rating he got from 24-7 Sports. He, of course, went to Duke, had a tremendous tremendous freshman season at Duke was the number one overall pick in the 2022 NBA draft. Pretty darn likely to have a very, very good, very excellent NBA career as well. We'll, of course, see as that continues to develop. But Bancaro really kind of helped put Washington basketball back on the map while he was in high school. And there's plenty of reason to think that he's going to have a really successful professional career as well. Number two, highest rated recruit to go to the University of Washington. That is Isaiah Stewart, 0.9993 in the class of 2019. Isaiah Stewart was a monster in high school. He was a monster at UW as well. And quite frankly, he's in the NBA. He's with the Detroit Pistons. He's starting over Kelly Olynyk at center right now. Very, very nice career so far for Isaiah Stewart. Another player that, yeah, UW didn't have a lot of success with him on the roster, but He was very good there. He was very good in high school. He's been very good in the NBA. Definitely not somebody who has not lived up to his expectations. 
Number three, staying on that topic. Hopefully it ends up flipping around at some point, but that is uh, Markel Fultz. Markel Fultz, of course, the number one recruit for the University of Washington, also the number one pick in the NBA draft. He came to UW in 2016, was a one and done there. Again, excellent college career, excellent high school career. Hasn't hasn't had the success in the NBA just yet. He's had, he's had some injury issues. He's a very, very good defensive player. Hasn't really shown up on offense kind of at all. Unfortunately, he just hasn't been much of an offensive player up to this point in his in NBA career. He's still pretty young, still a good chance that he could turn it around and at least become a a good offensive player and a great defensive player, which is still probably not what you want out of a number one overall pick, but far from disastrous. I mean, we're talking all NBA caliber defensive player if he puts it all together, uh, but he hasn't quite gotten there yet. Next up, is our boy Martel Webster. Of course, we knew he was going to be on this list. Martel Webster was a monster, a monster in high school. Uh, had a had a really nice career uh, in the NBA as well. Uh, really good role player in Portland. Uh, he never quite reached his expectations either. I always have thought that the um, the expectations for Martel Webster were were too high. He yeah, he came out of high school. He was like the sixth pick by the Blazers. That was maybe a bit high to, to draft him. Uh, and he carved out a really nice career, a really, really nice career playing the NBA for over 10 seasons. I think anybody who lasts in the league for more than 10 years and has multiple good seasons, like not just like, you know, you're, you've been in the league for 10 years, but you're the ninth guy off the bench every single year. If you make it in the league 10 years, you have a couple really good years. It's really hard for me to consider you a bust, especially coming out of high school the way that he did, like. I don't think he's a bust. I think he had a very good career, but I understand that that label has followed him around a little bit, and I kind of understand why, unfortunately. Next up, another UW guy, Spencer Hawes, .9984 for Hawes in the class of 2006. Another guy who had a really nice career. Really, really nice career as a stretch big. A uh, guy who who came to UW, who kind of looked the part, looked like the guy who was going to end up being like, hey, that guy's going to be a solid NBA player, and he was. There's not a whole lot more to add to that. That's kind of just, he, he he became what everybody thought he was going to become. And that's pretty good. That's pretty good. A lot, not a lot of guys do that. Next up, another University of Washington guy. Again, most of these guys went to UW. Jaden McDaniels. Uh, McDaniels in that same class as Isaiah Stewart, 2019. What a, what a tremendous recruiting class that was. Uh, and of course, UW didn't do anything with it. <laughs> they didn't do anything on the court with it. Uh, perhaps that's a larger conversation about the difference of, of recruiting versus actually winning on the court. UW is one of the teams that is probably has the biggest difference between those two things of they recruit really well, they do not win very well. Oregon has suffered from this affliction as well. Well, Oregon has had a, a handful of really nice five-star level recruits who just haven't panned out. UW has seen a lot of them pan out, but just hasn't seen the team around them develop all that well. Oregon has just not seen those guys pan out all of that well and also hasn't seen the results on the court. Uh, but yeah, McDaniels, nice career. Two solid seasons in Minnesota so far. He's a role player. He's a backup power forward, but he he's, I think he averaged about seven points per game last year as a backup four uh, in his second NBA season. That's pretty darn good. I think he's going to carve out a nice career as well. Next up is our North Carolina friend. That is Marvin Williams. Uh, I had forgotten that Marvin Williams is from Washington. I will happily admit that here on the podcast. Uh, but obviously, he's one of the greatest high school recruits uh, in the state's history uh, to go over to North Carolina out of Washington. Very, very rare. Of course, Bancaro made the Washington to the state of North Carolina pipeline recently. Uh, but Marvin Williams is kind of the first really big name to do that. He played 1,000 games in the NBA. 
That's really good. He had some really, really nice seasons, average over 15 points per game. Very nice, very lucrative, very lengthy career for Marvin Williams. Really nice to see another Washington product who, who really did pan out. Next couple guys, these next two guys are the two players on this list who did not make the NBA. Eight out of 10, pretty darn good for the record. And considering that many of these guys had lengthy NBA careers, Webster 10 plus years, Haas 10 plus years, Marvin Williams 10 plus years, you know, jury's still out on Bancaro and Stewart and McDaniels and those guys, but very possible for them to do so as well. Next up here, 0.9957 overall mark from 24-7 Sports out of the class of 2009. That's Abdul Ghadi. He did not have a very good career. He, he did not make the NBA. He averaged seven and a half points per game in a full four years at UW. He was, I think he was about eight points per game in his first couple of seasons, about 10 points per game in his final season. That's really it. A fine role player for four years at the University of Washington, but he never really became a star. He never got a ton of NBA draft attention. He never played professionally in the NBA. Just just didn't quite get there. Decent player, not far from being a bad player or like a horrible bust or anything like that, but, you know, one of the 10 highest rated recruits in the state of Washington and, and the highest rated one who didn't play in the NBA. And then next up, Josh Smith, not that Josh Smith, not the electric left-handed player uh, who did not go to the University of Washington or to did not come out of the state of Washington, excuse me, because this Josh Smith did not go to Washington either. He actually went to UCLA. He began his career at UCLA, transferred to Georgetown, had more success with the Hoyas, but also did not make the NBA. So two guys out of 10, not NBA players, our final player on the list, the 10th rated player out of the high out of the state of Washington in high school Tony Roten Tony Roten class of 2011 at UW first round pick I think he was 25th overall had a couple really nice seasons in the NBA in 2014 2015 he averaged like 16 points per game granted he only played 30 games but he averaged like 16 points per game in the NBA I forgot that that happened because the next year he played 3 games in the NBA and then bam that was it. He was done. He was gone after that. Very quick, shined bright, and then fell off very quickly. But uh, another player who, again, made it into the NBA, was a first-round pick out of UW. Hard to criticize that too much. So Washington's had, I think, more success than a lot of other high-level you know, states that have good basketball have had. I think this is a pretty good success rate. The fact that UW has landed most of these guys and hasn't been very good is more of an indictment on UW than it is on the state of Washington's basketball scene, especially when you look at the guys who didn't make this list. There's a lot of really good basketball players who came out of the state of Washington who were not as highly rated as these guys who went to different schools. Some of them went to UW, some of them didn't. And some of them had really, really, really good careers. Zach Levine is a really, really excellent example. He's a Washington kid. He did not go to the University of Washington. Now he's an NBA all-star. Corey Kispert, obviously, is a Gonzaga example. There's more Gonzaga examples as well. Stephen Gray, Gary Bell are both Washington guys. They were not NBA guys, but they were very, very good bas college basketball players. Of course, the most notable example from Gonzaga is not Corey Kispert. It is Adam Morrison. Adam Morrison was just not regarded as a prospect at all coming out of high school. He, I think he had two stars from 24-7 sports. Like he was not, he's just a non-prospect. Of course, he was not a great NBA player as well, but one of the best college basketball players of the last two decades as well. So doesn't always matter. Uh, a couple other names that are on here, Dehunte Murray, Matisse Teibel, those are Washington guys. Uh, Kevin Porter Jr. is a USC guy. He's carved out a nice career. He's had some significant off-the-court issues that have hampered his ability to be an impactful player so far. It ran him out of Cleveland after just one season. But last year with Houston, 
He looked really good. He looked really, really good. So again, I don't know that it's necessarily Washington. I don't know that it's necessarily, you know, I don't know that it's related to that program as much as it's just sometimes these rankings are off. Sometimes a guy like Abdul Ghadi is going to get a really high rating. And sometimes a guy like Adam Orson is going to get a really low rating. And that's just incorrect. That's just incorrect. It's up to the teams to maybe figure out when they should trust the rankings when they should maybe not trust the rankings. And you see that sometimes Gonzaga has done a very good job of landing players that are not particularly highly rated and turning them into significant contributors. Corey Kispert was like, I think he's like the 16th or 17th highest rated player in Gonzaga history. He was not a top 100 player in his recruiting class. Like he wasn't considered a high level recruit and he was a lottery pick. So it happens sometimes where that's just the transition that happens. And and we've seen it with, with Washington prospects before. And while it's fun to dunk on UW, not necessarily their fault entirely, but certainly Gonzaga, when they do recruit in the state of Washington, they seem to do a very good job of finding players who are going to end up being big time contributors for them down the line. All right, two segments down. We're going to come back in the third and final segment of the show. Answer one more listener-submitted listener questions about how money is impacting college athletics right after this. All right, segment three. Still Eddie Patton, still Locked On Zags. Still want to thank all of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen of the day and remind you to check out the show on YouTube if you haven't already ready. We are about at 900 subscribers. The goal is 1,000. We have about 100 to go. If you are listening to this and you haven't subscribed yet, very simple. Go to YouTube.com. Find that big red subscribe button after you search Locked On Zags. Hit the button. Boom. You're subscribed. You're helping me get to my goal. I am eternally grateful. Thank you all who have already done it. Thank you all to those of you who are going to do it. Final question of the show. This one comes from Chuck via Gmail. Chuck says, when you were discussing Kentucky playing in the Spokane Arena instead of the kennel, you mentioned that it was a money grab that allowed rich people to attend the game. I was expecting to hear, that's capitalism, baby. Instead, you discussed how that may not be best for the fans and students. In what other ways do you feel that making the most money possible is not the best for sports? For starters, I appreciate that somebody acknowledged my occasional critiques of capitalism that I do on the podcast. I don't do them all that often, but occasionally I will toss them out there. Uh, I haven't changed my tune entirely on the Gonzaga-Kentucky game being at the Spokane Arena. We're just farther removed from it, so I'm certainly not as emotionally invested in that game being at the arena. I know a lot of people who are trying to go. I'm happy for them. That's an opportunity to to go to the game that they would not have had otherwise had the game been in the kennel. I Understand that. I appreciate that argument. But in this situation, I think that there are lots of ways that college basketball and college sports in general, mostly football, frankly, not just basketball, although it's mostly concentrated to basketball and football. There are things that they are doing or attempting to do that are transparently about money, that are about acquiring as much money as possible, that are not in the best interest of whatever party you may be a part of the student athletes, the coaches, the fans, the school itself, whatever it may be. One of them is obviously the, the one of the biggest thing that's happening right now. And that's conference realignment and conference realignment is a little bit tricky because in, in many instances, it's not, there aren't necessarily parties getting super negatively impacted. And look at USC and UCLA, right? So USC and UCLA abscond from the PAC 12, jump to the big 10. They're going to join there in 2024. In some situations, like the student athletes are now playing more 
like they're playing higher quality opponents. Although if you watch Pac-12 football this past week, I'm not sure. The Pac-12 looks really freaking good to start out the season. Four teams in the top 25, two others receiving votes. Pac-12 looks pretty darn good, but the Big Ten, by and large, year 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 to year, is is better than the Pac-12. They just have always had have always been. But the, the decision was not made because they're playing better teams. The decision was made because they get a lot more money being in the Big Ten. They do in the Pac-12. That's why they made a decision. Any single argument you hear outside of that is just is not true. It may be a byproduct, but the reason that those two schools, two schools, excuse me, went to the Big Ten is to make more money. And now, if you are a fan of USC or an alumni of USC and you live in the Bay Area, there's a whole heck of a lot of them. You don't get to see your team when they come to Cal. You don't get to see your team when they come to Stanford. Is this this tremendously huge deal? Not necessarily. You can still watch the games on TV. It's not like USC is like, you know, they're still going to play football on Saturdays at the same time every year. Like, it's not going to be that dramatically different. But you are you are taking away some local regional rivalries. You're taking away some games that, that fans have really looked forward to for a long time. I know there are Gonzaga fans who, who go see... Portland, you know, Gonzaga play Portland in Portland every year until that game was not happening every year. And that caused some problems. That was frustrating for fans to not get a chance to go to that game. I know there are Bay Area Zags fans. I know there are Southern California Zags fans who go see them in San Diego or who go see them in San Francisco or Pacific or wherever it may be. Losing those games is a bummer. Is it this huge catastrophe that is not, you know, like the, the NCAA should not let any of this happen because of that? No, not necessarily, but it is an unfortunate byproduct. I think student athletes having to travel more, having to spend more time in planes, less time in school, those are bad things. They're, 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 again, they're not insurmountably bad things necessarily, but they're not good things. As somebody who worked in academic support for student athletes for many years, about a half decade, I know how much class they already miss, and I know how much worse that would be if you were all of a sudden traveling across the country. I know what this would look like at Gonzaga. I know what this looks like at UCLA and USC. Now, those programs have huge entire staffs of people dedicated to academic support, where the smaller schools do not. Portland had two people. I think University of Washington, when I applied there, I think they have 16, something like that. Just to give you a reference of the difference of academic support for a school like UW, for a school like University of Portland. Gonzaga probably has somewhere in between those two numbers, would be my guess. I think UP recently got up to three. Gonzaga's probably closer to four or five. I haven't looked at their staff directory anytime super recently. And I'm not saying that they need to hire more people or else they can't jump to the Big East. <laughs> That's not, I think they should jump to the Big East, absolutely, if they have the ability to do so. But these are factors that go into it. And transparently trying to get as much money as you possibly can, while it's not always bad, it does have negative ramifications. In this situation, Gonzaga jumping to the Big East, if they were to take the rest of their sports with them, has some pretty significant ramifications. All of a sudden, your tennis team probably misses three times much more class than they were missing previously. That's not good. It's not, again, something they cannot figure out how to work around. Uh, hopefully they have professors who are willing to be ad adaptable. Hopefully they can get enough finances to staff more people to help out with that situation. But these are challenging things. I'm not going to go into the transfer portal or NIL too much right now because 
I don't think that either of those things are bad for student for anybody. Really, they're good for student athletes. They're they're generally good for everybody else. I think there are some things that need to be ironed out. Uh, certainly, the Miami situation got a lot of attention earlier this year, where they basically signed a guy to a four hundred thousand dollar a year contract, and one of the other players on the team was mad and threatened to leave. And and that stuff needs to get ironed out. But that's pay for play. That's not nil. That's straight up one hundred percent. We are paying you money because of how good you are at basketball. That needs to go. And I think the NCAA is going to attempt to do something about that. And the last thing that I wanted to talk about was something that has been a topic uh, quite a bit recently, which is the the potential changes to the NCAA tournament. Greg Sankey is the commissioner of the SEC. He made some comments indicating that he might want to explore potentially either expanding the NCAA tournament or doing away with the automatic qualifier. Now, Nobody supports getting rid of the automatic qualifier. That's how Gonzaga's are born. But beyond that, that's how you have St. Peter's make their epic run. You have Florida Georgia, Florida, Florida Gulf Coast University make their epic run. The, the birth of Lob City, you see George Mason make a Final Four. Like There's a ton of incredible stories that have happened because of these automatic qualifiers. Nobody really wants the NCAA to get rid of them. But there are people who want that because it puts more money in their pocket. Because for Greg Sankey, they only get three or four maybe programs from the SEC and the NCAA tournament every year. If you get rid of those pesky teams from you know the Horizon League or whatever, then all of a sudden there's seven or eight teams from the SEC that are going there. He makes a lot more money. We get subjected to seeing middling 500-ish Power 5 teams as opposed to seeing a really, really good team from the Horizon League or the Sun Belt or whatever. We don't get to see those teams. We get to see, you know, a Stanford team that went 14 and 17. I don't want to see that. I would rather see the smaller team, the smaller school. I guess there are people out there who may prefer it the other way, but according to many researches, many studies, uh, Gary Parrish and Matt Norlander at CBS recently did a poll of over 100 coaches across the NCAA. These are head coaches, assistant coaches from various programs. 97% said they don't want to get rid of the automatic qualifier. So it's pretty much universally supported. I don't think that any kind of legislation or anything like that is going to change that super soon, but... Those are the kind of things that scare me. Those are the kind of things that people are who are transparently thinking only about money could make decisions that would dramatically impact the sport that I love and that you, if you are listening to a Gonzaga-specific podcast in mid-September, you love college basketball too because you're here, because you're listening to this. If you feel that way, you probably don't want to see people who are really, really money-focused make decisions only with that in mind, because most of them are not going to be good. This is a primary example. There are other examples out there, things that I haven't even thought of that could potentially come up that would be detrimental to the game, but perhaps line somebody else's pockets a little bit. And I would like to see that stuff go away as much as possible. We still live in a capitalist society. I'm not going to launch into a whole thing about that. But ultimately, as long as money continues to be what drives people's motivations, Decisions are going to be made that may not be the best for the fans, the coaches, the players, whomever it may be. And that's just a reality that we have to live with. Hopefully, if things are very not well-liked, like an automatic qualifier getting removed from the NCAA tournament, they will not end up getting passed. That's the best we can hope for right now. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Remember, we're down to three episodes per week for just this week and next week. Then the pod is back full time, five episodes per week starting in October. We still got plenty of great content coming your way later this week as well, right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. 
available wherever you get your podcasts, available on YouTube as well. Go hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so yet. Finally, thank you again for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Locked On WCC doesn't exist just yet, but you can get more informed on the West Coast happenings by making Locked On Pac-12 your second listen of the day. Host Spencer McLaughlin and the local experts of Locked On take you across the Pac-12 in 30 minutes, five times per week. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.